episode of Creative Native. We have another great episode today, an actual special, special, special double episode um, featuring two guests. My first guest is Mr. Robert Ironshale. He is a Sioux Indian from Iowa. He grew up kind of all over Iowa around um, Rosebud, Sioux City, and actually went to Briarcliff University, where he not only got his undergraduate degree, but his master's. And he's now no longer in school, but he is still competing in track and working full-time. So he's kind of in the real, t- real world and still competing, which is, I think, amazing. And we had a really good chat kind of about his experience um, and just how his world kind of has been opened up um, through his education and his athletics. And I just really enjoyed nerding out with him about uh, track. And I think he's doing some really awesome work um, going back to the community and kind of being involved and being a role model for the youth. Um, You know, we talk about Native athletes not having role models, but he is kind of um, trying to correct that. And he's actually competing this weekend at the Nebraska Invitational in the 400 meters. So be sure to follow him on social. It's posted in the description for the pod. But if you're looking for him on Twitter, he is under at Bobby Zuman, one of my favorite Twitter handles, but at Bobby underscore Zuman, Z-O-O-M-I-N. After that, a really great follow-up is a conversation I had with uh, Miss Lauren Beasley, who is also in my PhD program here at University of Tennessee, and she looks at the mental health side of uh, athletic development and holistic care of athletes, and so we had a really good conversation about her research. It was so great to talk to her, and so glad she wanted to come on the episode, uh, the podcast and talk about her research and how that kind of connects to the overall you know, Native American athlete experience. I think mental health is such an important part of part of it and something that we could all kind of get a better understanding of. So really excited for that. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy the episode. Tell me like what, what are you up to now? When did, and when did you, gra- you graduated last year? So I got my master's oh, in congrats. healthcare administration. Yeah. Thank you. Um, last May, last August. So I graduated in August. So, so um, yeah, I mean, it's, I, was, I mean, I'm, I'm done. I'm glad to be done with school. So yeah, was, <laughs> I'm happy to be done with that. So, and but, what are you doing now? So right now I work working, at, obviously. Um, <laughs> yep. So I work and then I train too. So I work at um, a small uh, a neuroscience and orthopedic clinic um, just outside of Sioux City. Um, I do the medical bracing there and the insurance. So um, just kind of something to get my foot in the door. Um, if I want to get into administration eventually, so yeah, but that's kind of the general plan right now. And you said you're still training too. Yep, I still train. Yeah, I still compete. I actually have a meet this weekend. Really? Where is it? Yeah, 
it's a Nebraska, Nebraska okay. invitational. So how, how does that work where you're out of school? Um, so the good thing about track is if you're still decent at it, you can yeah. still compete. Right. So instead of a school being by your name, it'll just be unattached something like that so gotcha gotcha yeah that makes sense i um i was lucky enough to be out in portland and when there was the uh, olympic trials in 2012 mm-hmm. i believe and um have you heard of alvina Begay? um i have not so she's more of a long distance runner but she's she yeah, that's probably why. <laughs> yeah she was navajo so she was actually like out there she actually ran the 10k trials at you know hayward field oh. Which is like crazy because it's a it's six miles around the track, so it's just mm-hmm. insane to think about. But. I mean, that's a crazy environment. Any anytime you have a meet at that that place, it's just the environment is just crazy. Yeah, have you been? Uh, no, but I've seen it a lot on YouTube. Yeah, so. yeah. One day, one day. Well, and they're completely like remodeling and everything now, so it's gonna be even crazier, I'm sure. But so, where did you grow up? <laughs> Sorry, I lost you there. No, so... Where did you grow up? Yeah, where'd you grow up? So I was born in Sioux City here in Sioux City, Iowa. Uh-huh. Um, so I think... Gosh, I went to preschool until like, first grade here, Sioux City, and then we moved to Rosebud for mm. about four or five years. So I spent a big part of my childhood um, in Rosebud. And then we moved back to Sioux City, and then Omaha, and then kind of this, just the surrounding areas, not not too far from where where I where I was born. So, but kind of just stayed in the same, same area. Yeah. Do you remember like kind of realizing when learning about being native, or how did that kind of come into your life? Um, it was always a big part of my life growing up. Um, my mom really emphasized. Um, that part of um, where I came from and my I mean that part of my family is this huge um, I've been around that part of my family more the, the native side and so that culture was a big part of my my upbringing so. mm. okay yeah that's that's awesome when did you start like <laughs> running or playing sports so they they tell me I started running when I was like in uh in elementary, like I was always running and I was always fast, but I don't, I don't remember doing any yeah. sports when I was that young. Yeah. I never really, I never really took tracks like seriously until my sophomore year, my sophomore year of high school. Yeah. And even then, um, even then I was, I was still pretty, you know, mediocre. Um, I got a lot faster towards the end of my high school career. Um, but I mean, no major offers. And then, I got. I went to Briarcliff because it was it was really close to where I live. Yeah. And the nursing program, which is what I wanted to do at the time, so um, I I wasn't recruited in track. Um, I actually had to to contact the coach and ask if I could run for the team. And so that first year, um, I broke a lot of the school records there. And yeah. I was gonna leave to a few schools, um, a few big big schools to run, and then I ended up staying last minute, but. I always, uh, it's always funny when I tell people that, that, um, I wasn't recruited or anything. Mm-hmm. So I had, I had asked to be on the team for my, my track team. So, yeah. 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 But, and did you stay there for your masters? I did. Yep. Yeah. So I stayed there for, uh, 
undergrad, my master's. So yeah, that's great. I, it's kind of good to knock it out when you're kind of in that mode for sure. Yep, yep. Did get you? It all done at once. Yeah, were you able to get any assistance like financially? Um, so I got a little bit. Um, I got a little bit from the tribe. Uh, Briarcliff is very expensive, so yeah, it, it hardly put a dent. Hardly put a dent in the cost there, but. I was lucky enough to get a lot of academic and uh, athletic assistance there, so that, that helped me out a lot. Yeah. Were you always kind of into your, like, doing well in school, or was it until you got to college? So, no. Um, I used to be kind of a rebel. Like, yeah. I, was, I got really bad grades until, like, my sophomore year of high school, and so school was just never really my thing, and then, I mean, it just all kind of started to click click one day and then I just started to take it really seriously and so yeah I mean after that grades were super important to me so but I had my base I had my base there where I think every kid has their has oh their yeah yeah, yeah so. and it, it kind of I think it taps into like the competitive nature too when it's like you want to be you want to do well so yeah it's kind yep. of transfers over so what made you think you wanted to be a nurse what makes you what what made you think you wanted to be a nurse uh, you said you wanted to be in my car, so I'm losing, I'm losing some signals. No, it's but, fine. Um, it's fine. You said you wanted to be a, be a nurse. Oh, yeah. So at first, um, well, that's something my mom really wanted me to do, and that's kind of partly the reason I didn't do it is because uh, I, my mom wanted me to do it, but I didn't really want to do it. So Yeah. And nursing nursing's just one of those things that, like, if your heart isn't in it, then it's going to be a miserable profession for you. Yeah. So, but... Yeah, and then I just uh, I kind of moved uh, more towards the health sciences and stuff like that, business and everything. So, mm-hmm. but I mean, there's there's always uh, there's always jobs when when you got a when you have a degree in business like that. So, um, I was really looking for stability, and that's kind of what led me. I mean, I still love doing it. Um, healthcare administration work. I mean, I love I love learning about it. I love getting my degree in it. Um, but a big part of that is stability too. I mean, um, I think that's a big reason a lot of people don't have to go and get their degrees and stuff. So yeah, stability. Absolutely. But. absolutely. Now, so in your in high school experience, was that were you kind of were there a lot of natives in that in your like high school or was was that absolutely not really okay? Yeah, absolutely not. It was mainly uh, Caucasian. That's the right word. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was mainly it was me and then it was mainly uh white kids. Yeah. Um, white's white's few, perfect. <laughs> yep, yep. And then uh we had a we had a couple black kids, um, and then a few Hispanics there, but um no, I don't think there were any any other Native Americans there. So Did you I, I mean every, everywhere I went I was kinda the I mean, there weren't very many Native Americans at all. So yeah. that's just kind of how it's, it's always been wherever I went. So, yeah. Where, how did you, did you have a point in your life where you're just like kind of asserting your identity, like talking about being Native, or is it something that, is it something? Um, I never really brought it up, but I mean, I always looked a little different than the other kids. So naturally, yeah. it sparked a little curiosity. So, if people uh, wanted to talk about it, I was pretty open about it. So. Right. So, yeah. yeah, and so 
And is this, this is your mom's side? You said right. Yep, my mom's yeah. side. Yep. Yeah, and so you guys are still pretty close. I would, I would, I'm guessing. Yep, we're we are extremely close. Yeah, I, I talk, talk every day. Yeah, same with my mom. I did see the um, like the was it a Kickstarter or crowdfunding that kind of campaign that she had done? Oh yeah, so um, a lot of it was for track, and then yeah. part of that was to get her down to watch me at nationals too. Yeah. So that turned out pretty successful. She went down there and. Then, I got second in nationals that year, so it was it was a really good time to be down there for for watching me. That's so great, and like I think there's just such a cool movement of like support around natives, like on social media and stuff. Like it's because before we're all kind of like isolated to our little like either either reservations or really like rural areas that aren't reservations, but kind of isolated. So that's been a really cool thing to see. I started. I worked with N Seven. That was what took me out to Portland. And and that was in gosh 2012 I guess so it's like been a while now but it's like even then it was so cool to see just like kind of this movement and how native community is so kind of cool and supportive and like Indian sports and those guys like this stuff that they're doing like yeah, it's kind of I think they're starting to get a lot a lot more attention and that's awesome um, I think they're getting better access to resources now so um they're able to get their name out a lot a lot better um social media has has really kind of really uh helped that a lot so but i mean i I work with i worked with a lot of the kids um back in rosebud um over the summer i usually try and get them get up there uh once or twice during the summer and do a little running camp or a wellness camp for them and then um that's that's always really really fun for me. So I think last year I was able to um, go to the marathon with uh, Billy Mills. So that was that was pretty pretty cool. That's awesome. So yeah, was that something that was like kind of brought to you, or was that something you kind of sought out on your own? Did you? Um, no, because um, once in a summer, and then I think they just happened to be doing that marathon with Billy Mills. Um, that summer, and they asked me if I could come do it too. Like, so he was there too, so they wanted me there too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was that was really that was amazing meeting him. Um, I was learned about him growing up. Um, Jim Thorpe. Uh, I didn't I mean I didn't have really anyone super athletic. Um, to kind of look up to really because none of my family really did sports mm. so I was kind of I was kind of the first to really start uh to really kind of commit to a sport so that's really interesting and that's something that I've talked to other like not having in like a native role model you know is like yeah yeah and, and then my, and my parents didn't do sports either so yeah absolutely yeah. but I always knew my uh, my grandpa my grandpa was very athletic I mean he was he was a boxer. And oh, the guy yeah. Was just, the guy was jacked. So, <laughs> um, yeah. But, I mean, that's, that's pretty cool growing up knowing your grandpa was a chief. So, um, yeah. he, was, he was an amazing man just being around when I was a kid. And he just kind of, his presence just kind of commanded respect. So, it was, yeah. he was an awesome, awesome guy. Yeah. yeah. So, kind of going back to, like, the athletics stuff, what was, 
what was it like just competing at that level in college and kind of the pressure and the kind of um looking gosh I mean I won't, I'm not gonna lie to you a lot of it was was really uncomfortable because it's I mean I ran the 400 and yeah. so the 400 is a very painful race yeah <laughs> it's, it's kind of the man's race I, I would say yeah um and so I mean every time before a race I just had this kind of gut-wrenching feeling like this is really gonna hurt but I mean the feeling afterwards when you know you ran really fast and you know you're running against really fast people it's a really good feeling and I I love I mean I love winning too winning's an awesome feeling so yeah but I mean it's the race I did it it was a, a bittersweet. It's a bittersweet kind of feeling. I liked running fast in it, but I hated the feeling it gave me during it. So it was a, it was a pretty painful race. But um, as far as pressure, I mean, I never really kind of buckled under pressure. I was, I could always compete on the big stage. I never had a problem with it. So pressure never bothered me. Bothered me too much. It was more just, uh, this is really gonna hurt. And I don't want to do this. But yeah. <laughs> That's kind of the crazy but, thing about running is that, like, it's just kind of – it is a pain-inducing – it's, like, yeah. one of those things. It's, like, you kind of have to be a little bit crazy, I feel like, to yeah. do it. And yeah, everybody's got to have a little a little uh, crazy in them to, to be a runner, so. Yeah, and it's, like, it's at least kind of a healthy thing to be kind of crazy about, yeah. you know, like, at least. <laughs> yeah, it's – yeah. Something that I struggle with a lot, like, I, I'm a distance, I like to run long distance, but I hate lifting. Like, was that something that that you got into in college or high school? I, I absolutely, well, not, so I didn't, I mean, college is when I started to take uh, lifting a lot more seriously, um, and then I really started to, to fall in love with it. Like, honestly, I think I like it too much right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> because uh, I, I mean... It kind of made me a little bit bulkier, so it made it, it kind of interfered with my biomechanics for sprinting and everything. Right. Um, but, I mean, the Olympic lifting variations like snatch and clean, I've always had a heart for those. Um, I've worked with a coach in Omaha uh, on the, the Olympic lifts, so um, I really got, I got a lot better at those. And I think they, they really helped in my sprinting. Um, a lot of the qualities that you get from Olympic lifting can can transfer over to sprinting. Mm. So um, I I do believe I saw some benefit from them. Yeah, um, kind of explosiveness. As much as, I, yeah. as much as I do them, I don't think uh, I don't think I need to do them as much as I do. But right. it's just because I love doing it so much. So yeah, and it's such a God, it's such a different mental thing than like running is. Like I can't. yeah yeah yep. I, well, I notice especially in distance runners, they do not like lifting. So. No, no, absolutely, absolutely not. Like that's that is definitely, I think, a true statement. And it's, but I, when I do it, I feel like I do way better. Like I feel stronger, and like I feel like it gives you that kind of muscular endurance that's like you don't right. get from just running and running and running. So it's really interesting. Uh, but I would never deem it necessary. For anybody, any runner to lift, though, yeah, um, like a sprinter or a distance runner in college or anything, I don't think it's a it's a necessity. Um, it certainly helps, but it's not it's not huge. In some cases, it might it might make some runners worse, which is 
crazy. But, yeah. So um, how did you how did you get into the four hundred event? Like how did that happen? Oh gosh, I went. So I I was a hundred two hundred guy in yeah. high school, and then I ran the four by four in high school too. But I I was running in uh, college, thinking I was just gonna run the the one hundred, the two hundred, and then I. Uh, so my indoor season, my first indoor season, I didn't do very well at all in 400. Um, and then outdoor season came. I ran my first outdoor 400. Awful. It was an awful time. And then I dropped like three and a half seconds by the end of the season. Wow. Which is in, in a sprint event. Yeah, that's huge. Insane. So, I mean, I didn't, I didn't want to do it, but I was just like, okay, I got fourth at Nationals that year. So I was like, maybe I should just stick with it and see how it goes um and so that ended up being like my most successful event in college was the 400 unfortunately but that's just yeah that's what uh that's what i succeeded the most in so yeah what was the team dynamic like because i know track is different from you know other sports where it's like a team sport did you guys have a pretty close team yeah i mean especially if you got a really good relay team together um I mean, I loved I loved the relay teams I was on. Yeah, so it always seems really fun. Always had those those big pep talks before before a big race um, at a big meet. So I mean that that team component is there, um, but it is more of an individual sport um, at the same time, which I I enjoy. I mean, team sports are fun, but I don't like having to rely on other people. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So. But I mean, I loved I loved the the team atmosphere I got from the relays and stuff. That was always super super fun for me. Running, I mean, the four by four is I think the most exciting event in track. And so I mean, we always got really really hyped up for for those races. So yeah, those are always so fun. Like I love, I just love track and field. Again, talking to you just gets me all excited again. I'm like so pumped for it. I think we're having I think we're actually having one here in Tennessee in Knoxville this weekend maybe. They have yeah, a lot yeah. of different relays and stuff. And that's always so fun to go to. And, and, it's, and, it's, and it's warm, too, so that's nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> have you heard of Christian Coleman? I have. Yeah. So he he's, was actually he's a legend. He was actually in my class. He was a sport management major, and I, I teach sport management students uh, as part of my PhD program. And so he was actually in my class to, like, a class about like becoming a professional and it was just so I was like you're a millionaire like why are you like why are you in this class but Get out of here. but after the summer after right in the summer he beat you saying like that some that fall after that summer he came back yep. and like finished his degree like he was in class and I was just I was just blown away I'm just like dude that's awesome yeah, that's always that's always kind of a weird weird when they go when they go pro and then they come back to school and it's just like it's not really the same because you're yeah. a pro and you're you make millions, but yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's awesome. That's a, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, you're fine. Yeah, it's it's so funny <laughs> that. Yeah, like, I mean, the guy is. Yo, yo. He's so yeah, and he's so tiny. I was blown away by how tiny he was, like in person. You know, it's like it's. I'm, I'm beginning to think you know there is no, there is no, body type that is good for sprinting because you see you see both ends of the spectrum yeah excelling in it so yeah. I mean you see Usain Bolt was like 6'5 and then Christian Coleman I don't know his height but I don't think he's a very big no, guy no so he's like you see both ends of the spectrum so. yeah he's like 5 
a max. Like yeah. he's tiny. Yeah, yeah. It's so nuts. But he's like, you can, you can. See, like he looks fast though. It's like, yeah, he can, he can, yeah, yeah he can run. Uh, yeah, yeah. What about? I know you got to travel abroad too. What was that experience like? Oh gosh, that was. I think about it every day. Yeah. <laughs> that was such. That was an amazing experience. Um, yeah, I, that was actually funded by um, someone that he, he kept. He kept a pretty keen eye on me in terms of track and everything. So he helped out with that immensely. That's so um, great. But yeah, I mean, they. I went to. I think it was like five or six countries over there. Um, but it was. Gosh, the culture is the culture shock is just insane. Yeah, um, I think my favorite places were is between Germany and Italy. So small town Italy and then uh, Germany because I just love the German culture. Being over there, gosh, it just it really puts things in perspective for you how how big the world is. Absolutely. Um, but amazing, amazing experience, and I'm, I'm still looking into going back. I'm just not sure where yet. But yeah, So. Yeah, absolutely. It is such a eye-opening, like, I've only been to Spain, but, like, even that was just, like, wow. Like, not, and it wasn't, like, a super touristy area, so it was kind of, like, really getting to see the, like, culture, but, and it's so wild. It does, it definitely, it's crazy when you grow up in these small rural communities or on a res, it's like, you don't have any idea of the world that is out there. Um, have you, I, but, what was it? Uh, I was gonna say. I mean, Rosebud. I mean, there's. I don't know if you've been to Rosebud. No. There's not, not a lot there. So. Yeah. But. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we had a grant come through, like a grant request come through in seven for Rosebud when I was there. So it sounds familiar. But yeah. I and kind of Iowa in general is kind of known for you know not being <laughs> a huge huge place. Do you have? But, um, there's there's some really really amazing athletes that come out of that area, like the Rosebud Emission, the Big River areas. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I keep up with that, too. Um, Kaylin, who's, who's um, she lives, she's from Mission, I believe. Mm-hmm. But um, she's uh, an amazing, amazing track runner, sprinter. Um, so, I mean, I've talked to her parents a few times. Um, I talk to her a lot, but she's she's going to be something really, really special. She's, she's insanely, insanely quick, so... Yeah. For her age, I hope, I hope, just hope she can keep progressing and keep doing the right thing so she can do big things. I mean, she's already doing big things, but even, even bigger things. So. Yeah, it's so cool to see those younger kids and, like, how they can really just kind of latch on to something like that. And I, I'm just so, like, when I started this program, I really did it because – when I was looking at research, all the research on Native Americans and sport was about mascots, and there was nothing about actual athletes. And I was like, we have some really awesome athletes. And I was like, we need to know, we need to share, like, you know, and Billy Mills, but also, like, the Nike current crop is really awesome. And it's so interesting, like, how you have to balance, you know, your kind of different identities, you know. You have being Native, being an athlete, you know, being, you know, college, being young, it's, it's so wild. One of my last thing, and I'll let you go. I wanted to, um, something that one of my colleagues is studying is, um, kind of like, not just like mental training as far as like sports psychology, but as far as just like kind of more of mental health. Um, has that been something that you've kind of 
is that something you've worked on? I obviously, I think you probably have to, I think a lot of that is in track. You have a lot of mental training, but, um, have you had any kind of experiences with like dealing with like mental health and like, um, kind of overcoming, not even overcoming, but just like dealing with kind of stress or, you know, time management, all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah. think, uh, any, any college athlete that tells you they aren't, they aren't stressed in life. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, it's, it's a lot to balance. I mean, um, balancing a sport and then school and whatever else kind of personal things you got going on. It's, it's like, there's a lot in your plate. So, I mean, I've, I've had, you know, my fair share of breakdowns in college. So, mm. um, but I think, um, it's being in a sport really helps, mm. um, because you've got to have, you've got to have, your coping mechanisms you got to have those things that help you escape and then sprinting was just that was always that thing for me absolutely um, that gave me that gave me my escape from everything and then um yeah i mean it, it made everything a lot less hard yeah <laughs> you know what i mean absolutely um, but it, yeah, it was definitely my escape so being being an athlete really helped a lot and yeah. so, um, yeah, I mean, I, it, it's, college is stressful, but I mean, you get through it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just something, I mean, and you learn, you're, that's, that's when you're learning too. You're learning a lot about yourself. And, yes, absolutely. You know, you're not, you're not entirely sure what, what helps you yet and, and then what hurts you. So it's a, it's a big learning process when you get into college. So yeah, you don't even know like who so, you are at that but, point. Yeah. So it's kind of a really, yeah, exactly. it's a really crazy exactly. time. It's really, it's really crazy being back now, like being around college students. It's, it's awesome. I love it. Cause it makes you feel young, but like it's, <laughs> it is though. It's like, Oh, it's such a, like a formative, like you don't even know who you are. Did you feel, yeah. did you feel pressure at all to be like a role model? Like once you like got blown up on Indian sports and stuff. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like once that started, once that stuff started happening, <laughs> I felt a lot of pressure to just be like, uh, like the star, star role model. Mm. Um, and I mean, I think, I think I've done, uh, pretty well. I mean, I've never, I'm not, I, I like to get my work done. You know, I like to, I like to do, do the right things, uh, for myself, help me progress. And I think, uh, yeah, I mean, that pressure was, that pressure was always there. Um, but I mean, it's yeah yeah no I think I think you know where I'm going with that yeah it is it is this it's like because I think because we are a small population and it's just you kind of feel like all eyes are on you and it but it's and I think it's just being an athlete too in general it's like I think both sides of it being a native and then being an athlete just kind of like exponentially increases that and it can be pretty intense but I think I I know I just seeing all your stuff on social media and stuff I can tell that you're 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 doing a good job so don't worry about that yeah and the fact now that you're like you know still like a lot of times you hear about people in college and they kind of you never hear anything else so it's like I'm really glad that like you're you know you're working but you're also still you know using sports and 
you know, working with the community, it's such a, you know, sometimes it's always kind of like, you have to feel like you have to choose, but I feel like it's really good when you can like try to have that balance, you know? Right. I mean, uh, I mean, when I, when I lived on the reservation, I mean, there, there weren't a lot of resources, but yeah. I mean, if I had someone to like come, come and talk to me about those things and about sports and health and nutrition and all that, um, it would have it would have rocked my world if, if I had someone that was doing that. So I'm hoping that's that's what I'm able to do. You know, when I go back there and I give those talks and I, I do those camps and everything, um, I hope you know it it really makes a difference in, in those kids' lives. Yes, and it means so much more. I try. I do my best. Yeah, but. and it means so much more coming from someone that comes from their community. You know that. Yeah. comes from their background it's such a huge game changer so i'm really excited for you and uh good luck this weekend what are you running thank you i'm running the 400 so oh back uh, at it yeah um so i mean it'll it'll be it'll be interesting that's for sure but it's a big meet so i'm excited Awesome. Well, I will, uh, I'm going to actually post this tonight because I have, I'm going to do a double episode with my friend who talks about mental health on the second half. So I think that'll be, she's kind of done it with like minority populations too. So we had a pretty good conversation about it. So I'm going to post that tonight and then everyone hopefully can listen to it before you compete and uh, wish you good luck. Awesome. Thank you very much. It was nice finally talking to you. Yes, of course. I'll post your social stuff too so they can connect with you and uh, definitely just stay in touch. I like this is kind of my like passion and like my my research and I I love helping people out too. So if you ever need, you know, anything at all, just let me know. Awesome. I really appreciate that. Yes, of course. Good luck. Yeah, thank you. See you later. See ya. Bye. So I'm here with Lauren Beasley. She is one of my colleagues at the University of Tennessee in our sport management PhD program. We're actually down in the dungeon of our <laughs> office that we like to call it. And uh, um, it's kind of the bunker um, in our PE, the PE building that we're housed in. So we're um, down here. I have no idea what's going on out there in the <laughs> upper world. The weather looks nice and all that good stuff. But it's where we get a lot of work done, a lot of uh, good conversations about research and teaching and all that good stuff. But um, I wanted to have Lauren on to talk a little bit more about uh, mental health and this effect on not only athletes in general, but minority athletes specifically. But um, I want to start, Lauren, do you want to start by just telling kind of like your background and how you kind of got into doing the work that you're doing? Sure. So I have kind of an untraditional I guess you could say path into sport, um, specifically sport academia. Um, so, I mean, I'm sure not unlike many of us, I played um, throughout my childhood into high school, um, played basketball and softball. Um, so I definitely found like an outlet in that yeah. for sure. Um, but I feel like I identify more as a fan in many ways. Like that's kind of where sport has been powerful for me. Um, my dad passed away when I was young and, baseball was something we would always like watch together and that was like our thing and so that's been a way I'm still like connected into that so being a sports fan has been a big part of like my family and family culture yeah so sports always been super super important to me never thought I'd have a career in it yeah where'd you grow up (laughs) um in the San Francisco Bay Area um kind of all over but like majority majority 
majoritively there. Um, and so big San Francisco Giants fans, that's kind of our, our world. Um, still to this day, it's like what brings my family together in ways that nothing else can. So really powerful there for sport in my life. Um, like I said, had no idea that I could do a career in it at all. So I went to undergrad at um, the University of Texas at Austin. Um, the other UT. The other UT. <laughs> the real UT, I like to say, if people get. <laughs> uh, we'll, we, we'll, we'll, we won't debate that. Not today. Anyways. Not today. <laughs> um, and so I did my undergrad in American Studies um, and Latin there. Um, had thought I was going to go into politics. Did internships really? in politics hated it it was yeah i mean texas politics is a whole other world oh my gosh yeah. um and All i just those were, uh, politics in general yeah just and just wasn't yeah. happy <laughs> yeah um and so when i graduated um i got a job at the food bank in austin and i saw i was like okay nonprofits. this is like really what i love and i got to do story banking and i i worked a lot on um food distribution so i'd go out and interview our clients and just hear their story mm -hmm. and i was like i love doing this yes. um and so everybody higher up in the organization all had their um masters in social work so i was like ah oh, okay great that's my career path that's what i need to do um so i ended up doing my masters in social work at utsa down in san antonio um and there's a professor there who is one of the seminal researchers in the intersection of social work and sport. Um, and I got the opportunity to do some research with him as his research assistant. And that kind of opened up this whole world that I never thought, like something that I was so passionate about, right? And something that helped me through so much when I was younger um, could actually like be combined in like my professional world and what yeah. I love to do. Um, and so that was kind of the start of it. And he was the one who connected me to people over here at Tennessee and the rest is kind of history. So here I am. I'm doing research on um, mental health of athletes, student athletes specifically, and then the intersection of social work and sport and kind of what that looks like, yeah. spe specifically in college sports. So. Yeah. What kind of work and research were you doing uh, in your master's? Like, what were, what were you guys looking at? Yeah. So with um, – shout out to Dr. Gale, who I did yeah. my work with. He's at UT Austin now, yeah. of all places. But um, – so we did work on um, the Baylor rape scandal and kind of looking at institutionally what happened there. Um, and then we did some med um, media framing work of the Colin Kaepernick um, kneeling. Um, so those were kind of the two paths we took. Um, looking specifically at social worky issues, which is more like race, gender, mm -hmm. right? Um, and how those kind of play out in sport. Yeah. And so what, what did you feel like, were there like some big takeaway? Were there like any like, just big aha moments of like connecting between sport and social work yeah. when you're in, in that program or for sure yeah. I think it was more of their people too yeah like you know and like yeah. <laughs> social work is so much about working with the person yeah. right um and we'd be looking at all these issues in class right um and we would talk about how they present in like the elderly population right how they present in the latino population how they present in foster kids right all these different populations and nobody was talking about how they present in athletes yeah um and it's such a thing, like, it's their people. And I think that's the biggest, like, takeaway is that we don't necessarily think of. So social work is all about working with vulnerable populations, yeah. right? That's, like, the mission statement of social work. Um, and nobody, like, college athletes specifically are so, so vulnerable in so many ways. Mm -hmm. um, but they're not talked about that way. And they're not, um, and therefore people don't think they need help. 
Yeah. Right. Because they're talking, they're all looking how strong they are, which they totally are. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're not struggling with things too. Right. Right. Yeah. So when, like, did you, when did you decide to do the PhD route? Yeah, I think it was something I always kind of had in the back of my head from when I entered undergrad. I was like, oh, PhD. Both of my parents have their PhDs. Um, So just talking about the impact family has and stuff like that, right? Um, And so, yeah, it was always kind of in the back of my head. Um, But I think it was when I was – also, shout out to Dr. Hoffman, who really – he's also – he's at BYU BYU now, but – um, he, I was in a research class with him and I turned in an assignment and he like, um, t- talked to me afterwards. Like, have you ever really considered your PhD? Um, so he was one of the really first people who kind of spurred that like passion for it, mm-hmm. for research, I think again in me. Um, cause I had kind of set that aside to be like, I'm going to have a career in social work, right. um, do direct practice and stuff. Right. But yeah, so it was really him who first put that thought back into my head where I was like, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Yeah, so how did you decide, or, you know, you decided to come here? Did you talk to our advisor, Rob? Shout out to Rob. (laughs) Um, Had you kind of had a plan of, like, studying college athletes Mm. and coming here, or how did that work out? Yeah, I think so. I know. Shout out to all these. Talk about the importance of mentors in our lives, right? Seriously. (laughs) All these people. But, um, yeah, so it was definitely – hard to find a program that was open to um letting me research social work in the sport context yes um and so I had looked at applying in social work PhD programs um but they were like oh sport right like the research that isn't a big part of social work yet and that's kind of the advocacy I want to do with my work yeah um and sport programs would be like oh, social work? Like, what? You have your LMSW? What does that mean? You have your master's in social work? What does that mean? How does that connect? Um, And Tennessee was one of the places that were so open to it and so interested in this, like, holistic care of athletes, right? That's such a big thing with our department. Yeah. Um, And that a lot of our um, professors are researching, which is really awesome. So I think it was more – that they were open to this research and that's very rare to find in the sport world and in the social work world because people don't necessarily think the two are together yes absolutely I think I think that's why a lot of us end up here because yeah I I wasn't I never really considered another PhD program because I just knew yeah I just Rob was like come you can come here and study Native American right sport and I was like yep. absolutely like yep. and then that was what I realized like all this research is about mascots and not about actual athletes exactly. and native people. And so exactly. it was like, yeah, this is kind of void. And so you're being able to serve that. I think it's so important too. Like I, I, the thing I, there's a lot of things about <laughs> academia, but one of the things that like, is like everything's so siloed yes. and there's all these little segments and they don't overlap and they don't like right. talk to each other. Right. It's like, yeah, you can be doing some really great work in sociology, but you can also be doing some really great research over here. And sport management in itself is kind of a weird one where it kind of can be in the college of business, right. it can be in like college of education, it yes. kind of be all over. So it's kind of like kind of a rogue thing, but I think it's just because of the impact of sport on people's lives, like day to day, exactly. it has to kind of, you can kind of do so much work with it. Yeah. And it's just kind of really untapped what we really know for sure um so and I like it's pretty awesome that it kind of 
you know, the mental health stuff is really a hot topic it, now yeah. with athletes, especially on the professional level. Like, guys are talking about it. Yes. Um, that's so do you want to talk more about that and like how you kind of follow all the like the trends and stuff sure just like I mean if we think about I think the media just right now like people it's actually being put out there which is really awesome um and I really look for like I mean on Twitter and stuff like people are so like even just like the Kyle Korver that's not necessarily mental health Right. But that's so social work, like yeah. what he is talking about. Right. Absolutely. And so yeah. I, you know, follow those trends. I like, I follow a bunch of influential people on Twitter. Right. Um, I mean, I watch sporting events and I know yeah. people are always like, Oh, like so cool that you get to watch sports for your like yeah. research. And I'm like, yeah. well, yeah, but you think about the commercials, like the Michael Phelps commercial that's been running yeah. about him, um, using, talk therapy like the cell phone app or whatever right just those things that are now starting to become in the media so I think for me it's being tapped into that a lot um and following the trends like that way is really important but I mean of course like we've only like touched the surface yeah on issues and then on the research side it's I'm sure there's just a struggle to find stuff I know we were talking about a lot like just trying to find stuff that's kind of similar yeah something I found when I was looking at research around native athletes was, you know, this great dissertation, um, about them obtaining, using sport to obtain education. Yeah. So that was kind of very, the same kind of like social worky and like, um, social worky, that's going to be our like new term. I know. Well, but I say that too, everything social worky, because it's, you know, you're working with people. Right. Yeah. So what, um, do you want to talk about how, like what you've been looking at recently with like athletic departments? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, my research right now is focused on who are giving mental health services in athletic departments really and defining those roles. Um, and so we see three different like licenses who are allowed, not allowed, but like are competent and trained, right. To do clinical one-on-one mental health therapy. Right. So we have our... Um, LPCs, which is our licensed professional counselors, our LPs, our licensed psychologists, right? And our um, LCSWs, our licensed clinical social workers. Um, And there's a lot of confusion, I think, generally, and then really within athletic departments, because this is so new, right? These hiring, these positions are so new um, that they don't know what the licenses mean, right? And they don't know who to hire, right? And then because of that, we get a lot of crossover and confusion about a quote-unquote sports psychologist that's exactly what I was just thinking I was like how do you yeah how you differentiate them from a sports psychologist yeah different and like even that term this might be a little controversial in the sports psychology world but even the term sports psychologist isn't like really a thing right there's no I can't get a license that says I'm a sports psychologist I can get a I can get certified through ASP as a certified mental performance coach, the CMPC, you might have those. Yeah. And then I can get licensed as a licensed psychologist, right? Right. Um, Through the APA, right? So it's like, but there's no one license. Again, that's another (laughs) where where there's not like a convergence of those two fields. Yeah. Exactly. And so like sports psychology consultants or CMPCs, um, are trained in perf- the performance world, right? Um, and while there's definitely crossover, um, they're not trained in mental health, right? So somebody could have 
performance anxiety, right? But when that like tips over into no, they have like a panic disorder, right? Those are two different things yeah. and we have to treat them differently. Yeah. Um, and so I think just that's kind of where the base of my work is, is how do we advocate and educate, right, for these different professionals in this like holistic care network, right? So not one person should be doing it and one person shouldn't, yeah. right? But how do we all work together? Yeah. The holistic care for the best yeah. care yeah. yeah um and then thinking specifically like how have you seen kind of either research or even media trends yeah. like with different populations and like different yeah kind of um either minorities or you know less affluent people you know mm-hmm. race class Orientation, sexual orientation, any of that stuff. What does that look like yeah. outside for athletes? So we see the highest rates of depression and anxiety um, in the African-American population in sport, um, which kind of mirrors trends in society, right. right? That's kind of where we can see. There's not a lot of research that looks specifically at trends in sport, right? Yeah. Which is part of the problem. Right. But we can see, okay, if we look generally at the general population, right, we can pull that really as African-American females have some of the highest rates of depression. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of factors that go into that, right? Um, when we're looking at sport specifically, um, we see really high rates of depression, anxiety, eating disorders in like track and field, yeah. right? Because um, body image is such an issue there. You have to have that right body, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we it see like no body fat. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then we see the highest rate of suicide and suicide attempts in football. Mm. Um, and so there's a lot of different factors that kind of interplay there, yeah. right? So like physically... Um, research shows there's three like distinct things that can lead to depression, um, which like concussions, right? So that's really big, right? CTE, right? That's huge right now. And, and we see that mostly in contact sports like football, right? So people are, um, arguing, right? That there's a causal effect there. Um, and we haven't had the total research to know for sure. Um, but there's definitely something happening, right? That we're seeing that. Um, overtraining, so OTS, right, for my athletic trainers out there, right? Um, So that's like when you train, 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 you hit a plateau, right? So no matter how much more you train, you're not going to – your performance isn't going to get any better. Um, And there's research that suggests that there's similar chemical things that happen in the body when you hit OTS as when you're in an episode of major depression. So physically something's happening there, right? And then, of course, injury, is a huge one. So physically, when you get injured, um, there's this loss of your athletic identity almost, especially with career-ending or yeah. season-ending injuries, yeah. right? Um, and so physically, those are kind of the biggest risk factors um, for mental health. Um, and so we see a lot of those in contact sports. Mm-hmm. Um, so that could be a reason that we're seeing it more in football, which also might be a reason we're seeing it higher in like the African-American population, right? Since they're um, a high majority of our football players in D1 universities. Um, so there's like stuff to consider there. Right. Um, I think on the other side of it, like on the non-physical side, right. Um, athletes experience a ton of pressure to perform. Um, they don't have a lot of time, right. There's these expectations of perfection, um, on athletes. Um, and then not to say unrealistic because absolutely people come into college and they go pro and they hit that, right? But in football, we're, what is it, like 1% go pro, yeah. right? 
it's like, but everybody comes in thinking they're going to go pro, (laughs) right? And so it's like, how do we, um, when that doesn't happen, right, there's this shattered identity, right? absolutely. Which is so, so hard to put back together. Um, And then also when we're thinking about minority student athletes, just the cultural identity, right, Um, with some of our, I'm talking more D1 here, um, but some of our biggest schools, right, are majority white institutions. So what does it mean for a minority athlete to step into a football team, a basketball team, right, baseball, softball, and be, like, in this majority white institution, right, yet being the face of that institution. And I think we see it here, um, you know, when a large African-American male football player steps into a classroom with major they stand out like yes it, they they stick out like even if they're not wearing like their athletic gear like people know yeah it's like they they're kind of and i that you know that has to create like this disconnect yes and um this barrier and right. it's so hard and i think for us like being in the head of classroom it's hard to like try to how do you break that down exactly and, all that. and exactly um but thinking about the athletes trying to deal with that and right. it's just something mason was just talking about how like People didn't really know because he's just kind of a smaller kid. Yeah. And he kind of got, like, his freshman year, he kind of got, he didn't, no one really knew who he was. But then once he got really, like, got a lot of press and got all these, like, now he's like, I'm just a quiet guy. And so he's like, he's talking yeah. about struggling with that. And, like, yeah. And it, I can't even imagine, like, because you're basically, especially if you're a D1 school, you're like a celebrity. Exactly. And exactly. And like, how do you, how do you manage that? Handle those yeah. conflicting identities. Yeah. You know? And, um, you yeah. go too from like you're also going usually from a high school situation where you're like the best of the best, yep. and I think this happens a lot in the native community too, where they'll be like at a small school if if you're on or off reservation or in a small community, yep. and they're like the and one of my athletes came and talked about how like he's like the the big fish in the small pond, yep. but then you don't and he's like it's good in that you don't have anyone telling you you're like everyone tells you you're great, but no one's like being honest with you and like, oh, actually, you need to like, you haven't competed with like the best. Of exactly. The best. Yeah. And so yeah. you go off, and then you're just like your entire kind of identity as an elite athlete kind of gets like, shattered. Yeah. And it's I can't even that like, that has and our our other um, alum Allison does a lot of work on transition. And yes. Like, that is so like interesting and so I think just overlooked. Yeah, and, and I think. A lot what's overlooked, too, is a lot of the research is on transition out, Mm. but there's not a lot of research on the transition in, Mm. necessarily, right? Yeah, different levels. Yeah, right. Absolutely. And, like, I think for, um, and this is, of course, a cultural generalization, um, like, so caveat there, it's not true for everybody in the communities, but for African-American and the Native athletes, right, where that's, those communities traditionally are much more about extended kinship, right, and that community, right, um, stepping into a much more Western style of life at a D1 university, right, like, that's a culture, that's a transition in itself, it's a cultural transition, Um, and how do you then navigate having those two different identities? Yeah, Yeah, and I'd be really interested. I think we should probably do this in the future because, like, I, one of my arguments for sport for Native communities, like, or for Native athletes is that 
there's a ton of research been done on natives going to college yes. and how they aren't ready because they aren't ready to lose that kinship yeah. and family. And one of my things is like I think it's having that sports team is like you're in your community, you know, yep. right? So I think that's why it's so successful for people of color for sure. and all that. But but then at the same time there is that there's still it's not the same kind of community, right? right. And, and it's, it's not yeah. it's a competitive, it's you know, it's a different, but that's, I think that's a super interesting aspect of it. Yeah. I think that's something that I could definitely, like, to be, to be, to be <laughs> right. sure. Yeah. But, but yeah, it is, and something else I was thinking about, you were saying about, it is so interesting, those different kinds of transitions and the identity, and like, we talk about intersectionality a lot, yeah. how you have all these different identities, and like, I, I mean, I, it took me to, like, I'm, you know, my 30, you know, I'm like 32 now. I'll be 32 this year. I'll be 32 this year, so I'm not going to short myself. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, it took me until, like, just last year to, like, kind of grasp these concepts yes. of identity. And I'm like, I can't even imagine when I was, like, like 18. 18. Like, I didn't understand. Like, and, you know, yeah. looking back now, I'm like, if I could have, like, just had, if there was someone to talk to you about this kind of stuff. And For it's sure. like, and thankfully the stigma around, like, therapy and going to yeah. someone has really changed, but, um, but I still think there's so much, oh so my much gosh, so much. and like, and just going back to thinking of athletes as people, like mm-hmm. that's, I think we're a big, there's a big barrier, and For thankfully sure. through social media and stuff that kind of helps, but yeah, it's, it's really tough. It's so tough. It's like, <laughs> but I think doing, and especially where there's a void in research, yeah, too, it's like that's, that's the big where you can kind of. Yeah, yeah and kind of navigate. And I think I, I want to touch on, like, a couple things yeah, like you it. brought up there for sure. Yeah, yeah. But, like, when we think – so when we think about treatment, number one, right, mental right. health treatment, um, it's very westernized, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so traditional psychotherapy is, like, a very western concept, right? And so, yes, there's been an increase in – mental health professionals working with athletes, which is an awesome trend. I mean, we're not nearly, I think like the last numbers we got and in our research was there's like 15 licensed social workers, 13 LPCs, and then like 50 something LPs, right. Working in athletic departments. So like really not a lot if we think about D1, D2, D3 across the span, but they're doing mostly traditional psychotherapy, right. Which is a Western white concept. Yeah. Um, and so it's not, it may not be the best treatment to refer an African-American athlete, a native athlete, an Asian athlete, right, to a traditional white, Absolutely. mostly white psychotherapist, Absolutely. you know? And so there's a lot of work to be done there, right? It's not just, okay, we have a therapist on staff, right? It's like, how do we reach all culturals, understandings of mental health? Because yes. they're different across cultures. Absolutely. Um, and so that's really hard, too. Yeah. Um, and when we think about a population, um, so I wanted to bring it back just a little bit yeah. to Native athletes, yeah. right? So, like, when we think about just mental health in the Native community, right, there's these stereotypes of alcoholism, right, drug use, domestic violence, right? We have yeah. these stereotypes, yeah. right? And um, a lot of that stems from what we would call, like, gener- generational trauma or, like, historic trauma, yeah. right? So... What does it mean for a community that was literally, like, kicked out of their home, mm-hmm. right, um, and not allowed to be in a space that was theirs, right? Like, yeah. that is 
trauma. And we don't know how to process it. Exactly. We don't, we don't exactly. understand. We don't understand that that's the root of these problems. Exactly. So we, just, we think that that I mean, there's a lot of people that do, but like we're there's a little bit of a disconnect there that we just think we we I think too much we play into those stereotypes. And we're yeah. Like, oh well, okay, that's what what we are. So exactly. And then, but people are like Damon again. He he's actually like. He's learned. He's like same with me. It's like, oh, we face this. Tra- we're our yeah. our whole, and it makes sense. Like, you know, like my great great grandma wasn't allowed to speak her language, right? Like, like things think- like that. Like your culture is just yep. completely stripped from you, and like how that affects like our generational, you know, just our different generations is huge. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, like, it's such a thing, right? And we see the same African-American population. Like, the generational trauma there, too, historic trauma, um, is very prevalent. And it presents in a lot of different ways individually and in ways that we can't necessarily pinpoint, right? Like, people don't sit there and say, okay, I'm an alcoholic because of generational trauma. That's not stuff we think about, right? and so I think it's also pinpointing that um, and being able to work um, in those communities on that kind of trauma is really super important. Um, and then on the other side of that, it's thinking about, okay, what are those generational resiliencies and historic resiliencies, yeah. right? Like, I mean, how strong of a group of people to get kicked out of their lands, right? But then create their own beautiful communities, mm-hmm. right? And like, that's amazing, <laughs> you know? one percent or less than one percent of the population and to still be kicking it as I like to say yeah yeah oh my gosh you just yeah and so we're all about the colonization so I'm so glad you said yeah like so and even like and that's the thing is like it's a process I've had to learn oh like I'm how, sure like just how it this whole journey this dissertation journey has been so eye-opening because it's like okay so we start research with a question or a problem right and I'm like and I approach most, I'm just such a very positive, and that's the thing too, I think we don't talk about enough, is like we talk about the problems, but we don't talk about the good things in right. these communities, and like how can we play into those, and like exactly. the community strengths versus weaknesses, yes. and so that was a big part of like my dissertation and yeah. stuff like that, but it, but it is, it's like, plus, and it's kind of like you kind of need to start, you have to start somewhere too, mm-hmm. and so it's like, I can see how, you know, we need to figure, figure these things out, and like how do we play up the good right and like and that's what I think is so powerful about social work specifically um is that we are a strengths-based profession Mm -hmm. right so social work therapy I'll use that term it's not like the traditional term social work therapy right or social work in general um it comes from a perspective okay let's identify the strengths of the individual let's identify the strengths of the population let's identify the strengths of the community Right? And how do we use what the clients already have to find interventions and solutions to challenges and problems? Absolutely. Right? Because yeah. that's the way it's sustainable. You, you can't necessarily, you can totally teach people, I don't know, you can teach people like skills, sure. Yeah. Right? But it's more so let's tap into what you already have, right? Because that's going to be the most sustainable. Yeah. You know? Um, and like people already have the knowledge and the ability to process historic trauma right so let's just tap into that right let's tap into they have these strengths in the community so let's tap into that as part of the solution right and so um I think we miss that a lot in traditional psychotherapy um and so I think that model is extremely effective um in 
populations, like African-American population, Native population, right, where there's so much, so much resiliency um, that I don't think we tap into. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's such a good counterpoint with athletics, this Mm -hmm. resiliency. So much of athletics is failing. Yeah. And, you know, losing and being, you know, and there's something to be said about, like, kind of a competitive nature and resiliency exactly yeah so so important so crucial yeah it's it's just makes the athlete brain kind of I think they have just a little bit of a different kind of brain absolutely and that's like a strength of being an athlete and then on top of that a strength of being a minority athlete right um it's so like it's so great and like stuff that we should be tapping into to help with depression, anxiety, these kind of issues. Yeah. And Um, it can really just break down not to get super like, I like, you know, it can just really break down these barriers, you know, sport. I I really do believe sport has the power to for sure bring people into something that they may never to like, yes, racism is a problem, you know, all this classism, all this stuff's problem, but sport can kind of help. For sure. And how can we, yeah, how can we better advocate and make sure we aren't leaving, you know, leaving people behind? For sure. No, it's so true. Um, And then I think the other side of that, the other thing I just wanted to mention and talk about um, is when we're thinking about mental health in general, um, a lot of it is coping mechanisms, right? Mm -hmm. So that goes back to this historic generational trauma. Like, how are we coping with that as a community? Um, and, and how are we coping with that individually, right? So a lot of times we can have positive or negative coping strategies, right? So when we think about addiction, um, that is a way that we're coping. Oh, absolutely. Right. And so as I don't want to say bad, right? Because again, like it's not necessarily bad. It's It's, seen as a weakness. It's seen as a weakness, but in truly it's, you have figured out how to deal with something that is so hard to deal with. Yeah. Right. And yes, it's through alcohol. Yes, it's through drugs, but you are doing what you can to survive in this world. Right. And so it's okay. How do we then figure out a positive coping strategy? Right. You've learned how to cope. Now let's figure out how to do it positively. Right. And that's kind of that transition. And I think in a lot of ways, sport becomes that coping strategy for people. Right. Um, Which can have both can be very positive, but can also be very negative if, that's the only way you've learned how to cope yeah. <laughs> um, because in the minute that's taken away, what are you going to do? You no longer know how to cope. Yeah. Right. And so I think thinking about it in that perspective too is really important, right? Like sport can't be the only thing. Right. Right. right, um, right. Because then if you're injured or you transition out, that's when you fall into depression and anxiety yeah. and these other issues because you no longer have your coping yeah. mechanism. Absolutely. Right. Um, and so, how do we teach kids positive coping skills Yeah. right from a young age, especially in these communities that have experienced generational historic trauma? Yeah. Um, yeah it's not just like, I am going to use sport to get out and it's like, exactly. it's not the whole, like, Oh, I'm going to go to the NBA. Like that those or you go to the NFL though. You, it's, you, you can't just bank on those kind of things. Right. Yeah. Because absolutely. What if that doesn't happen, then you no longer have your coping skill. Yeah. Right. Even if it does, it's never forever. And it's never forever. Um, And so it goes back to, I think there's so much power in sport and sport can be that positive coping skill and can bring so many people together. 
And then it's like, okay, but how do we do that in a positive way that isn't harming the athlete yeah. when they transition out of sport? Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of struggling with these two lines, yeah. um, which is why I think this career and the research we're both doing is yeah. so important. Yeah. Doing this intersectional work and doing like, it's a constant interplay and like knowing, like knowing the good and the bad and trying to like kind of run on that balance. So, yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking, I think we'll need to, I think we should do an interview where like you're interviewing the athlete. Yeah. So, like, I can kind of have that step back and like talk more deeply about that. Yeah. I think of all the native athletes I've talked to, like I think this is definitely something they could go deeper on. And oh my gosh. Just, yes. Yeah. Just like having someone like you that kind of, the, kind of the expert. Yeah. Say, but, um, you, you won me over when you said that you're talking about decolonizing. So that was like, yes, it's exactly what we have to do. We yeah. have to think about this, um, things differently. Yeah. So. Cause people don't think about, and I guess I'll, I know we're kind of running up on yeah. time. So people don't think about, and again, why I love the social work perspective is traditionally we think of therapy and mental health as such an individual issue, mm. right? Like you are responsible for your drinking, right? Just go on a walk. You won't be depressed anymore, right? Yeah. We, we put the responsibility yeah. on the individual. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, it's these more macro issues that are contributing to what that person is going through, right? Sexism, racism, all of that, right, is contributing to that individual's experience, right? And we're not going to fix racism by going on a walk. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. And so I think we have to start thinking of mental health and these issues more broad. Yes, absolutely. Um, to make any, like, really meaningful change and impact. For sure. Awesome. Well, thank you, Lauren, thank for being you for on. for having me. We'll be back for sure. I'm hear more about it. your research. <laughs> Such a rock star. So... Um, All right, guys, we will talk to you uh, soon. Thank you. Bye. But at this rate, the chance will not last. And you gotta act fast, pull up the slack, pick up the trash. Cause you still got time for one last dance. Still got time to have a blast. So special where you hate. Work hard to make life great. Quit a sit there and wait. Quit a sit there and wait. Not a piece of cake. But you can create a new life that will never take. You out of poverty, it's never too late. Life will come at you fast. Life will come at you fast. Life will Fast, 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 fast,